This is Earth Files, the award-winning news site with the latest updates in science, environment, and real X-Files. Podcasting in-depth reports beyond the 6 o'clock news by Emmy Award-winning journalist Linda Moulton Howe. Hi, everyone here and around the world. Last Wednesday evening, July 5th, 2023, author Whitley Strieber was my interview guest to discuss his latest book entitled Them, about the gray-colored non-humans who have interacted physically with Whitley since 1985. Gray-colored non-human beings have also been described by a lot of other people around the world. The gray types with large black slanted eyes have also been described by military whistleblowers, aliens that have been recovered dead and some alive at various crash sites since the late 1940s. And while I talked about the gray them with Whitley in last week's Earth Files, none of us knew that same July 5th Wednesday night that an anonymous VPN posting on Reddit of several pages by an alleged microbiologist who described firsthand analysis of the bodies and tissues of gray non-humans. Quote, From the late 2000s to the mid-2010s, I worked as a PhD molecular biologist for a national security contractor in a program to study exobiospheric organisms, or EBOs. Biospheric, that word, is essentially any place occupied by living organisms. The aim of the program was to elucidate the genome and the proteome basis of these exobiospheric organisms, close quote. A genome is the complete set of genes or genetic material present in cells of living organisms. The proteome is trying to understand how proteins function and interact with one another. And then the microbiologist gave his reason for whistleblowing. Quote, I believe that every human being has the right to know the truth and that to progress, humanity needs to divest itself of certain institutions and organizations that will probably not survive these revelations in the long term. I still believe that small leaks are necessary to break the dam of misinformation on this subject, meaning of extraterrestrials here on Earth. When the governments will eventually reveal these secrets, there will undoubtedly be a societal upheaval. But in my opinion, the longer we wait, the worse it will be." Close quote. He even explained a possible reason for animal mutilations was related to, quote, an EBO cell line named EPIG11, derived from epithelial tissues where the EPIG11, like most eukaryotic cell lines, enters a phase of exponential growth when it is exposed to fetal bovine serum, meaning serum from young bovine cows." Close quote. 
The VPN anonymous microbiologist posting at Reddit was not up long before viewers noticed parts began disappearing and warnings went out to download the whole post before it all disappeared. And it was gone by the next day, July 6th. But before that, I had downloaded the whole original post into a long Earth Files report that is now at the top of my news website, www.earthfiles.com, that includes the microbiologist's extensive details from allegedly examining and studying gray ET anatomy. I urge every one of you to go to earthfiles.com and read this whole, it's 16 to 19, 20 pages. And before his many pages disappeared at Reddit, the microbiologist reported this information. Quote, and the gross anatomy of the exobiospheric organisms is very similar to the gray aliens that are part of modern folklore. Their height is four to five feet. They have two arms, two legs. The gray skin that is often described in folklore is in fact a biosynthetic film which likely serves to protect the EBO gray from a hostile environment. Under the thin gray film over their body, the actual epidermis skin below the gray biosynthetic film is rather white colored and the texture is very regular and without any hair. When the gray film is removed, there is a strong lingering smell of burnt hair and ammonia." Close quote. And the microbiologist pointed out the alien beings do not have genitals or rectums. Waste excretions of ammonia sweat out through thousands of pores and glands on the white skin beneath the thin gray biosynthetic bodysuits that people have thought was gray tissue. And now we are learning it is an advanced technology that is, forms a layer on the skin that is protective. And then the excretion out of that body of these particular gray aliens is sweat of ammonia and other chemistries. And that would explain the terrible odors that humans have reported near these beings over many decades. The first time that I was told that the gray beings actually wore thin biosynthetic skin suits for protection, shown here in these illustrations, was 17 years ago in July of 2006. And that's when I first heard about autopsies at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in the late 1940s when three generals were watching surgeons trying to autopsy dead extraterrestrial biological entities and discovered their gray skin was not skin. And for me, it started with an email from a central Ohio businessman named Ronald Sikoy on April 24, 2006. At the time, he was 59 years old and worked for a retired U.S. Air Force flight surgeon in Dayton, Ohio who had a career at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. 
One day at lunch, the retired flight surgeon began to cry. Sikoy asked what was wrong, and his boss said these words. And it has to do with national security. And that caught me by surprise. I said, you mean like secrets or something? And he said, absolutely like secrets. Things that I'm sworn under oath I can't ever divulge. And the meeting broke up on that note. He had been out of the military many years. And what could it be from his past that was such a big top secret deal that he couldn't talk about it now? I, I didn't understand that particularly for someone that was not like a command officer. He was a flight surgeon. What would a doctor in the military have that was so secretive that he couldn't talk about it years later? And the next time we got together, he talked about top secret things, that when you give an oath in the military, you can't divulge things. Then he broke down. He said, if I told you something, would you absolutely give me your word you would never tell a living soul on earth? And I said, yes, sir. And he goes, you couldn't tell your wife. Okay, I won't tell my wife. Okay, I believe you. When I was in the military, he said, I was an administrative man. I was a doctor. I was in charge of a wing in SAC. All the military records and making sure the pilots were tested about fatigue and medical conditions. More an administrative officer of doctors under me and all the records and everything. And I said, does this thing have to do with your job as a flight surgeon? And he said, very much so. He said one night he was in bed with his wife. It was in the middle of the night, and he got a call from the base at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And that was not an usual event for him to be called in the middle of the night. And he was told he had to get to the base real soon. And he, he told the person on the phone that he would be there in about two hours. And the uh, person that was on the phone at the other end was interrupted and a general came on the line and he was given a direct order to be at the base in 45 minutes and then when he got there another anomalous thing happened normally he would just go through and just drive onto the base through the checkpoint because of who he was and he had a sticker on his car and of course the people at the guard post would know who he was and there was a vehicle waiting for him and he was told to follow it and he was escorted onto the base and he wondered are we in an alert, or has there been a plane crash, or what's going on? Because this had never happened to him before, he said. And what year do you think this was? He did not say the exact year, but he said in the very late 1940s. He realized that this was a very unusual event, and he, he just had this feeling something awful had happened. And instead of going to the big administrative end of the base, which was the only place he ever worked, they went clear across the base to another area to a series of buildings that he had never even been in. And when he got there, he was ushered inside by military police with an escort. And he went, what is this? And he began to have fear because that was back in the era of the Cold War that perhaps something wrong had happened in the world and perhaps we were in some kind of alert. And when he went inside, he was met by a general that he had never met before. He didn't give me any names. And he was taken into a side room, and when he went in the room, the general closed the door and said, sit down. He sat down at a table. The general sat down across from him, and he was expecting an explanation of what this was all about. And instead of an explanation, the general slid a piece of paper across the table at him and said, read that. 
And he looked at it, and it was a kind of form he had never seen before. And it had to do with security, and it was about a level of security clearance he had never heard of before. And he turned it over, and he said, what do you want me to do with this? And he said, I want you to sign it. And he signed the thing, and he was really being confused because he wasn't into top-secret aircraft or any of that kind of thing. That wasn't his job in the military. It was a doctor. And he said, why did I have to sign this? And he said, because you're just about to enter into another level of military experience that you're not familiar with and a certain level of keeping secrets that requires this level. I have to warn you about something. He told me that what followed was threats. All this time in the military, he had always been treated with the most respect and the fact that he was a colonel, this type of thing, this type of conduct, he was really put off. Suddenly, here's a colonel having him sign a special high-level top secret form, and then he's being told that what you see here, what you hear here, you can't ever take off this base. And you can't ever talk about it to anybody unless you're addressed by your superiors. And that what you're about to go through, you have to only talk about with your superiors and with no other members of the military, nobody below you, nobody in the medical end of all the people that he dealt with on a daily basis. He couldn't discuss it with them. He could only discuss it when it was brought up by his superiors, and he could never take it off base. And there wasn't anybody in the world he could talk to. He couldn't talk to his priest. He couldn't talk to his wife. He couldn't talk to anybody about it. And that if he ever was found out that he discussed what was about to happen with anybody, it could end up destroying his military career and could even end up in court-martial. And before he could say anything or ask questions, he said, they immediately were walking up a hall. And his head was swimming by all this. What can this possibly be that I'm having to enter into a whole new world here of, of relationship with the military? And before he could get an answer, somebody walked up to him and handed him a clipboard. And on it was a notepad, and it even had a, a, like a pen or something attached to it. And they handed him a mask. And he said, what's this for? And he said, just put it on. And when he walked around the corner, there were two more generals, one that he knew from the base and another general he did not know. And now he was really terrified because he's in the presence of three command structure generals. It never happened in his life that he was in that kind of position. And before he could ask any questions, he was walking up a hall towards a door, and there was in a building he'd never been in, and there was a window in the wall that you could look into the next room. And inside, of course, this is in the middle of the night, there was like lights set up, and he saw a photographer, and he wondered, what am I going to look at? And again, he thought through his mind, a crash, because they were taking pictures inside, and it just went through his mind, they've got bodies here because of what he could see, but he couldn't tell what it was about because it was just a glimpse. And the door opened, and he was told to walk in. Nobody warned him about what he was about to see. There were other doctors in the room. And from your scientific expertise, being a medical doctor, observe, and anything that comes to your mind, take notes. And when he walked in, he saw that there was an autopsy going on. There were two medical doctors dressed up in garb, they had a body on a table, and that there was lights 
on this and that there was camera equipment, both motion picture and a man taking still photography, and that there were two other men along the wall that he later found out that all five of them were doctors and that one room they were all military doctors. There were two tables side by side, and on the two tables were two dead alien beings. He said that one of these alien beings looked perfectly normal, that you didn't see anything wrong with it, but it was obviously dead. But the alien being on the table next to it was just the opposite. It was horribly burned, had a horrific wound in one of its legs, but the look on its face, he couldn't forever forget it, was the look of anguished horror at the moment of its death. And it was frozen on this being's face. The autopsy was already going on. He couldn't say anything to anybody. He was just frozen in silence. He said the stench was unbelievable and that he was overcome by the situation and wanted to vomit, but he knew he couldn't. He wanted to run out of the room, but he knew he couldn't. He said that these were obviously living creatures, but and unlike any kind of living creature that he'd ever seen before. But he said it was like they weren't real, like they were dolls or something. These creatures didn't have any signs of age. I said, you're talking wrinkles? He said, exactly. They didn't look like they were wrinkled. They looked like big four-foot dolls. They were not powerful beings. The first thing about them that he noticed right away was when they were looking at one of the eyes. He said, I got the distinct impression that, that this eye that they were examining, it wasn't anything like a human eye, and it didn't even look like some kind of living creature's eye. He said it was more like an optical instrument from a camera. It didn't look living. It looked mechanical. And he said the second thing that he noticed and wrote down, these creatures didn't have sex organs. And there is no way for them to relieve themselves. There are no exterior orifices. If these things are living creatures, all living creatures eat. And all living creatures expel waste. I don't see how they do that, he said. And that was the second thing he wrote down on his paper is, how do these people eat and how do they expel waste? He started looking at the mouth, and the mouth doesn't look like it's a carnivore. Obviously an upright bipedal entity of some kind that walked upright and was kind of like hominid, but it was nothing like a human being. It looked more like an insect, he said, in the shape of its head. And the insect part of it, maybe that's why its eye was so funny, that it was totally different than a human eye. It didn't look like it ate solid food or that it might live on fluids or something. But then knowing how a human being expels liquid from its body, how did this creature do that? And he couldn't see any signs of that. Their hands were, for the size of the body, larger, but very delicate with long fingers. And there was something odd about them. Now, I couldn't actually examine them. He didn't walk over to the table. He was told just to watch and write down notes, and he did that. So he didn't actually handle the bodies, but there was like a pads on their fingertips. And I said, do you think these things were intelligent? He looked at me kind of stunned, and I said, well, how could they not be? This isn't their world, and they're here. I was just overwhelmed. These are extraterrestrials. These are people from another world. He said that the next thing he noticed about them was that he didn't see anything else in the room but them. And I asked him, what do you mean by that? And he said, clothing. And I said, so that they were naked, dead bodies, and you didn't see anything that might belong to them in the room. And he said, exactly. There was nothing in the room. And there was this horrible stench, unlike any smell he'd ever smelled before. 
and that when he started watching their bodies and just looking at them from head to toe, he said they had a very pale complexion, but what was their body, the skin, their covering, it almost had a fabric-like look to it. And I said, what do you mean by that? It was obviously their flesh, their body, but it sure didn't look like soft human tissue that's on a human body. This was nothing like anything he'd seen before. It was just like it was fabric. It was almost as if it had a suit on, but that the suit was its flesh at the same time. And then they threatened me and told me I could be court-martialed if I ever told anybody that I could be imprisoned for the rest of my life. That's when I realized he'd been carrying this thing inside of him all these years and replaying this. Over the course of time, I began to see things on television and hearing events, and quite frankly, you. The number of times that I've heard you on radio giving very detailed interviews with people and and uncovering facts, it would be like pieces of a puzzle. One day I had this thought in my head that this whole issue is like this gigantic, huge puzzle with all these pieces. It's so complex, and you got to turn over all the pieces to see the whole picture of what this whole thing is, that this is a gigantic thing to comprehend. I've been to your webpage before at Earth Files, and I decided to go back again. I looked it over, and then that's when I saw the thing about how to contact it. These bodies, they came from somewhere. That means that there were people that handled them. They were transported across the United States. There were people involved. They came to Wright-Patterson, and if they were there at Wright-Patterson, that means people knew about it. In that building, when this autopsy was going on with this gentleman, there had to be, just in that area, by the conversation I had with him, I counted up in my head, there had to be a dozen people right there. And then those people had other people around them, the security, the doctors, the generals, their support staff. How many people know about this? And if there are that many people involved, how can it be that so many people don't come forward and realize, when I think about that, I'm looking at this dynamic human being, college educated, a doctor, a colonel in the Air Force, and he was afraid by the threats they made against him. If you could intimidate such a dynamic individual that's a colonel in the military, that he's terrified that they'll ruin his life, that they'll, they'll allow to put him in a, a room someplace for the rest of his life and he'll never get out if he would ever convey what he saw or heard to anybody else, what do they do to lesser people? Did they threaten him with anything else besides court-martial and being drummed out of the military? Yes. I asked him specifically if he had ever told this to anybody, and he said he'd never told anybody. He'd never discussed it with his wife. And he said, these people mean business. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, this isn't like the regular military. These aren't the regular military. And when they threaten you, they mean it. And I said, you mean they could harm you? And he said, I was threatened in such a way I had the feeling that if I really did tell my wife or other people that they might be surveilling me, they might know this, and that I might end up someplace in a room or even dead. He was more concerned, I think, about imprisonment in some kind of facility where they put people like this to get them away from being able to tell what they know. Did he talk to you specifically with knowledge that our government or whatever the shadow secret group is running things, that they have uh, facilities where they have locked away people who had firsthand knowledge about the extraterrestrials? No, he didn't talk about that. But one thing he did mention was that 
I asked him, do you think that this is the only event of this kind that happened? I mean, you know, these things came from somewhere, they were injured and killed, that means that they had an accident or there was combat between us and them or something. But I asked him from his military experience and background, did he think that this was the only event of its kind? And he shook his head no. He said, I think this government knows a lot about these things and that we have a lot more things than just this. And I said, you mean like craft or debris? And he goes, well, we got these bodies. Don't you think we have debris? And that means we've got facilities to handle bodies and we got facilities to handle debris. I said, you're talking cover-up. And he goes, it's got to be huge. So when they release this data, this supposed unveiling of things that you know eventually has got to come, it will be controlled. And they're going to tell us what they want us to know, think what they want us to think, and how much of it will be the truth and how much of it will be a multi-year, carefully crafted story. And the subjects that are the hardest for them are global animal mutilations being done by extraterrestrial biological entities, the abduction of human beings in a beam technology that is used also to pick up these animals, take tissue and fluid and return them, the presence of technologies that could solve the energy problem. How are they going to handle these hard pieces of physical evidence that link directly to the extraterrestrials? Well, they're not. They're going to paint a picture Let's say that you're the mafia. There's too many reporters coming at you, and pieces of your structure are coming out. And you're going to be in a situation where you've got to be exposed, that you've always lived secret and hidden. Well, you're going to help expose yourself in certain areas and tell a lie about it so they don't get the real truth behind it. Well, that's what they're going to do. They're going to tell us a story about why they've been here and what they do here and who they've interchanged with, and a constructed timeline history of events. That's basic human nature. Everybody that is caught tells a story. And if you think you can tell part of the truth and withhold the most damning evidence, that's what you do. Would they ever want to turn and look at a camera and say, oh, by the way, we have all known about this for years. We just didn't want to tell you. Oh, I don't think they're going to own up to that. But it's obvious that that is the fact. There's a reason why you have an agenda, and the word that goes with agenda, why you've got one, is the word need. If they've got an agenda and they're doing activities like that, they need to be doing that. This isn't just us being laboratory rats. Everything they needed to know about us, if they're this smart and they've been coming here this long, they know as much about us as our own doctors and our own university scientists know about us. So why are they still doing this? They've got a need of some kind. They need to be doing this, these entities. question is, what's that need? Why do they need to be on our planet? Why do they need to interact with us at a hidden level and be working with our animals and working with abducting human beings? What's the need? They've got one. There is a lot there to absorb and I hope that a lot of you will go to my earthfiles.com website to read all of the microbiologists posting at Reddit before it was taken down because I have everything there and I really do think it is a very, very important series of pages. And that uh, if you go to www.earthfiles.com,
it's right there at the top, and you can go through the uh, all of what he had put up. And then uh, we also, on the Thursdays after each live show, we do a podcast. And if you go to podcast.earthfiles.com, if you came in late tonight, you can watch it again uh, tomorrow. And with that, dear Ian in England, I am so interested in tonight because I think that there are many facets of information that I have shared tonight that are truly based in actual scientific reality, but we're in a world that has not acknowledged yet. And so I'm very interested in what our viewers, their intuition, their gut feeling is about a Ronald Sequoy who was so affected by seeing this colonel that he had such deep respect for, worked for, end up breaking down and crying at this moment in his retired life over what he saw, what he was threatened by, and that I know that this has gone on many, many places and many, many times. And if some of you listening tonight live if you have been in a situation in the military or science or medicine or a profession in which you have been exposed to the presence of other intelligences on this planet for real, and it is a fact, eventually I hope sooner than later the whole planet will be introduced to this is a fact, I hope that you will feel comfortable in communicating to me because I do protect and if a name or even a voice is a problem, uh, we can use different frequencies. And so with that, Ian, I would like to transition to you to give me a feeling about what the chat reaction is to this uh, story by Ronald Sequoy about the U.S. Air Force flight surgeon colonel that was his boss. Well, Linda, thank you for that great report. And the chat is actively engaged in the subject. We've got people coming to us as well with their own personal experiences about Wright Pratt. Christopher Alexander says, in the 1970s, a friend told me she was about to marry the man of her dreams, an Air Force officer stationed or about to be at Wright Pratt. She said after the wedding, she would vanish without a trace. And she did. Really? (laughs) That that was the negotiated wedding vow. We're going to get married, but you can't talk to anybody after we're married. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Maybe maybe they're even off planet. I don't know. But we've got Jim West as well says, my ex-wife's grandfather said he used to guard the aliens back in the 60s when he was stationed there. He told me this before he passed away. Wow. Yeah, yeah, what others? First hand experiences um, from people who have had uh, uh, experiences with people at Wright Patterson. Well, it has going all the way back into the 40s and World War II, evolving from Wright Field and becoming Wright Patterson. And as we posted in our promo question last night, how many bodies that are not human 
are on storage under that vast, huge, gigantic Wright-Patterson Air Force Base field. If you go down into the earth, you could have a, a whole other world under there that no one ever has any access to at all. Yeah, um, someone was posting in the chat, they, uh, they suspect probably about a hundred bodies. In fact, someone was saying that this is where all the bodies are probably now stored. Oh, I know for a fact, I know for a fact that there are bodies at Los Alamos, Eglin Air Force Base, I could go through. I, I do know uh, pretty firmly from people who, uh, are, who have confirmed in, in ways uh, so we do have extraterrestrial bodies, some in high-tech preservation. Uh, and the theme is anywhere that you can go down underground, that that has been the evolution since World War II of so much of this story. It has gone underground. It has gone under the territorial bases of Hill Air Force Base and Nellis Air Force Base and Wright-Patterson and Eglin and on and on and on. That is one of the untold chapters of all of this eventually. Um, right now, in terms of what are the current relationships with other beings, such as the Tall Whites and the Nordics uh, and the Praying Manises and the Teals, and there's a long list. The gray type, which also has many, many, many variations, that is the one that I think most people associate with the beginning with Betty and Barney Hill and Whitley Strieber. But they also, the, when the, if you go back into books, that were began reporting about the very first abductions. Uh, England had some. Uh, the United States eventually in 61 by Betty and Barney Hill became public. But there were stories like in England about blonde beings being involved in people's homes or their cars and that there were interactions. Well, the blonde beings would be in the category of the Nordics. The tall whites were really not described in any details in the 20th, into coming into the 21st century. It's only been uh, in the last uh, four or five years for me that I have learned as much as I have. And they are supposed to be in collaboration with at least three species of Nordics. But what exactly is the relationship of the many different gray types? And Whitley Strieber, in his new book, Them, that I did the interview with him and his fascinating insights that come down to his feeling strongly that a, a large part of what at least some of the grays are especially focused on has to do with this part of us that's invisible but may be our greatest power source, the soul. And so the range, the range of types, agendas, motives, relationship to the earth, the moon, our solar system, and beyond, because this solar system has been trafficked for a very, very long time. It makes for me absolutely 
uh, one of the most fascinating parts of what I'm trying to understand now is is the physical type of the beings that are described by people in the abduction syndrome or encounter syndrome or by military people who are on assignment or interacting. Is the physical presentation of the non-humans ever trustworthy? Are they all shapeshifters? And if they are, who might have secret relationships with each other about this planet. And that comes back full circle to the fascinating insights from the microbiologist about fetal bovine serum, a serum made from either unborn or freshly born cows is known to the right Patterson microbiologist as being able to accelerate some of the cells from the gray beings. And when you, when you take this fan and you open it up into all of the thousands of facets, it just keeps getting more and more complex, not less. And that says to me, we, we are maybe close to some insights, but we are being kept far away from others. And that the more we can, that you can tell me your experiences in military, medicine, science, and I can report. Because I get the feeling now that the idea that we were going to have real congressional hearings with actual honest dialogue about the presence of extraterrestrial biological entities of many types on this planet and in our solar system and beyond, that I think there was some expect expectation that in the summer of 2023, something was going to happen by the work of Representative Burchett and others in Congress. But it seems as if there is more hands coming up saying, stop, wait, in the Arrow office, in the Pentagon, and other places. Why the schizophrenia? Why the, we're finally going to open this up, and then in come all of the competing pushback voices? That makes it even more important for earthfiles.com to keep trying to report what I can and for you all to keep me in your loops as experiencers, as scientists, as military. And with that, Ian, with a huge gratitude to tonight's audience, uh, what about starting with questions? Yes, well, Hello Ali uh, refers to uh, Tennessee Republican Tim Burchett and him pushing for disclosure. What are your thoughts? And also, what does Linda think about the hearings that we will hear or have at the end of July, uh, uh, the, the, the rumored hearings, do you think they will take place too? That's the problem, that it's still in rumor on the 12th of July, rumor that something might happen. Um, 
I do not understand the kind of cat and mouse game that they have been playing about this. The presence of extraterrestrial intelligences underground on our planet, above ground on our planet, interacting with our moon, based in Ganymede, our government knows all of this. And for us to continue as the man, the microbiologist who did the download at Reddit, um, that when you quote that the reason he was doing it is that we are way past deserving the truth. And you've heard me say that for the four years that I have been doing the Earth Files YouTube channel. To still be kept at an arm's length distance from all of the things that I've been exposed to, it doesn't seem at all fair in any analysis. We're on a planet that is going through so many revolutions in climate and politics and so many others. If we finally started getting the truth about our actual genetic history, the relationship to other beings that had civilizations on our own planet, such as the Anunnaki, that our solar system and Mars, as John Brandenburg said, one of the big stories on Mars eventually will be archeology span that is discovered there. And for us to constantly be kept in the dark because it's easier, who is it easier for and why? And that's my feeling about if they're going to keep dripping, well, we might have hearings maybe in late July, there might be television coverage or maybe no television coverage or, and that's the way this has been going, unfolding. Why are they doing this? And I think if they would do real congressional hearings with uh, everybody on the committees having education from people about actual facets of the truth. And there are some people who know, I would personally, if there's anybody who is from Tennessee and can help me have a meeting with Tim Burchett, I would love to talk with him. I admire him immensely for being one of the few in our so-called representative government who seems to be actually reaching out listening and getting information about the fact that there are extraterrestrial biological entities interacting with us and our planet and our animal life. I think he is now convinced. So if, if the people who are in these committees and these assignments, if they would reach out also to some of us who have for a very, very, very long time uh, gathered uh, an evolutionary kind of view from World War II to the current day, uh, it might be helpful. Uh, I would love to talk with some of those people. I think it would be great if some of us who have really vested a lot of time and interest with people who are citizens 
who have experiences with the beings. Not be afraid that somebody in Washington is going to say, oh, we'll, we'll talk about the equipment, we'll talk about the technology, we'll talk about the beams, but no, 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 we're not going to talk about beings, no, 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 no. And that sort of seems to be what they're doing. Okay, Ian. Okay, Linda. Uh, we've got J.K. Ultra with us tonight, and uh, she's um, she says that she's been talking to Tactical Tim, Tim, who we featured on the program as well ourselves. His opinion is that the uh, beings in the Reddit post are probably Evens, and also Tim says there's an interesting point about the eye. Tim said Evens and Zetas have eyeballs, like in the Reddit post, but the Greys have a fully technological eye. Yes, that it would actually, I've had one scientist a long time ago talk to me about his having access to the layers, that there were many layers behind the black shields in a gray eye that he was allowed to uh, handle or investigate. And I remember, I believe, in addition to all these different layers of complexity, that it was an eye that was entirely not biological. Um, and Ian, would you agree that that is one of the discoveries in some of the gray types? Absolutely. Uh, it reminds me of the so-called BT soul catcher eye, if anyone remembers that from back in the, I think, late 80s, early 90s, which was probably a technological advantage that we had from back engineering ET eyes. And clearly they are looking in frequencies that we humans are not. Um, it's my understanding that we have been able to take some of the ET technology that we have gained from shoot downs or whatever, and that um, the beings are often interacting with people, animals, the earth, the atmosphere, everything through different frequencies that we are not. Um, and that infrared would be one of those that if we naturally, if we were looking at everything around us through infrared, it would be, it seems like it would be disabling, but it's because we are used to the, the UV light spectrum and where we are. But it does mean that these beings have abilities to see and function 24-7 in ways that we can't even understand. So go ahead with, I would be very curious throughout this question to everybody, um, what, if you could start like sending in your um, few word comments, what is your, the, the viewer's reaction tonight to the uh, pieces you haven't, you may or may not have been to Earth Files to read the microbiologist on all of the pages, which is why I went into the Ronald Sequoy story with the Air Force Colonel, and what your reaction is to his uh, describing in detail about the Colonel and what had happened and the threats to a Colonel to never speak. We know that happens, and ha but this was, I thought, especially um, deep in us being able to understand 
the people who would have high-ranking positions, that they are uh, controlled, and they are controlled in ways that would seem uh, surprising to some extent. And what your reaction is to what uh, what I presented that I would like to get when you start doing chat reactions. And Linda, we've got a question here from Marty McFly. Uh, has Linda heard about any of this ammonia from experience? Yes. He also, yeah, he also says, has there been ever, ever been any ammonia odor as a cattle mutilation? Oh, the ammonia odor goes back. Uh, I don't know how far back it goes in terms of the first time that I ever heard that association with something that was acrid, like ammonia, uh, like something uh, that was left over from something uh, on fire. There's been all kinds of these strange descriptions. But I would say that probably in, from the United States and other countries, that one of the most repeated descriptions in and around certain beings is the smell of ammonia. Ian, would you agree? That's right. That does crop up time and time again. And um, moving on from that, or included in that, Dolores Green says, has there ever been any personal reporting illness from handling the EBOs? It's a good question. Um, it, I think that, that I'm, what I want to remember is that in one of the documents of the government long ago, there were security out of, uh, I think they were out of Los Alamos, but they were down in Roswell. It was a security team deliberately sent to where either we shot down or something landed and the security team died of blood hemorrhaging, all four, within hours having been with the beings. And that's where the story uh, long ago, there were questions about would any of the blood hemorrhagic uh, diseases on this planet be some kind of a residue from extraterrestrials and contaminations. And that is the one uh, case that I know is in one of my bound documents about Majestic 12 and uh, documents going back into the 40s and the 50s and the story about the four security people who uh, all died in hemorrhaging. But would it be Maybe what I want to do is say, I don't know of this wholesale that I have walked in hundreds, <laughs> hundreds of pastures to gather tissue from uh, mutilated animals. And I don't remember ever hearing ranchers say that they ever had any kind of uh, sickness from what they associated with the mutilations or what had mutilated them. So it isn't like if there were four security guards back in the 40s who ended up dying from a hemorrhagic uh, disease because they had handled uh, beings that were alive and dead or all dead. 
it seems to be at least an isolated report and not something for people to feel panicked or scared about. Go ahead, Ian. You asked for our audience's reaction. Well, J.K. Ultra says Ronald Sukhoi's interview was incredible. Can't believe it was 17 years ago. <laughs> and Peter Cowell says, I believe the Colonel's account is legitimate. Yeah. Uh, Linda Howdy Dowdy says, is the Colonel still alive? My understanding is that he passed uh, within the uh, sh like two or three years, uh, but I don't have the firm anything on that. I believe he has passed, but Ronald Sequoia, as far as I know, is is still um, very much alive and a very intelligent being. Yeah, well, and Torman says his story was very informative. I believe the hem the amount of those that can be hushed at the moment. Uh, so it looks like the audience were fascinated by this and yes fascinating as always thank you it's so appreciated just reading through the comments here linda on that also you reached out and you asked people to come forward with their own experiences well we've got renee with us in the chat tonight she says with my experiences it started with my father having them before me then i had them and now my daughter and i had them while i was pregnant with her now she has an implant that doctors can't explain can can she comment to us right now about which type, which color, which shape, which height, which type? Okay, Renee, give us the details. Yeah. Which type of beings are interacting with you and your family? Uh, she goes on to say, the implant in my daughter's arm says it all, that the doctors can't explain that it has been there for years. And she says, I'm going to try and reach out to you. Uh, only today as well, I had another correspondence from somebody who said they actually were told the lab report on their implant was not of earthly origin. That was the quotation they were given over the phone. And uh, even the nurse delivering that couldn't believe what was written on and, the record. And here, Ian, is where we need the collaboration of all of you to help. We are on a planet where when it comes to this revolution of trying to finally get humans introduced to extraterrestrial civilizations. Everybody screams, you have no proof. Well, if there is uh, an implant and you can get x-rays, I might be able to get that to some engineers that I have worked with. And all I think what I'm trying to say is for any of you who have a child or yourself, and you know that you, you have an implant, a child has an implant, and you can get a good, clear series of x-rays, then I can work with other people who are familiar with a lot of things having to do with implants. And then we might be able to put together a presentation that is based on hard evidentiary fact and that, to me, is what we all need so much to be able to do. And it's, uh, there's been forces, obviously, since World War II of not wanting the general public to pay any attention whatsoever to UFOs, ETs, and any of the details because the government wanted proprietary control over everything. Well, today, 
I think that we are honestly at some kind of, as they say in the news these days, an inflection point where we will come out on the other side in a new universe in which we are one species, but we were genetically manipulated by two or three or four that still interact with our planet. That's where we came from. And then the whole open question of other civilizations and motives and agendas and on and on. It could be exciting and thrilling or who knows. So one more question, Ian. Okay, and before we do, we'll go through the super chats. Thank okay. you everyone for your generosity this evening. Thank you to Moonbird, Terry D. <laughs> Hello, Ali, One Arlini, Sandra D, Yin Yang Glow, Northern Lights, Eric Ackley, Caroline Boyce, Ruby Firefly, Tom Bob Thorson, and sorry, anyone else that I've missed here. So thank you. And we're asking people as well. Uh, for example, Rene, could you contact us at earthfiles at earthfiles.com when you reach out to us? We'd be very interested to uh, learn more about these species you're interacting with. Right. Thank you, all of the Super Chat people. Uh, I recognize uh, so many of your names and I truly, truly appreciate your support. And um, from, from this point, since there's just a few, we started just a little bit late, is there one more uh, comment or question, Ian? Yeah, I was going to come to this one, which is um, Aliens, for, Aliens for Beginners podcast, which sounds a fascinating handle in itself. I have to check that out. Uh, they say, hi, Linda, are all greys considered bioengineered? There are biological, there are extraterrestrial biological entities, the Ebens, that may be the only ones that are largely biological with almost everything else being some variation on AI. Um, but when you read all of the work, the pages from the microbiologist who uh, posted on Reddit, and it was up long enough for me and a few others to get the whole thing, it's as if He's just opened a little door on complex investigations and analysis and that you get the sense that his work as a microbiologist, that it was very, he was very aware of the difference between things that were biological, things that were not, and the whole me uh, metabolism issues of various biochemistries that were going on in some of the non-human bodies that are definitely not human. And when you get there, to say that anybody, any scientist, any doctor, would be able to say uh, very completely and finally, well, here is a being that is 100% biological, like humans at least at birth, are supposed to be 100% biological. But here is a whole long list of artificial intelligence, the way their brains work, the interaction of very aspects, their skeletal is completely different than ours, that everything 
could be that in these advanced beings that are here, that the difference between something that is artificial intelligence and something that is all biological, it may be so blurred because the extraterrestrial civilizations that I have had a lot of uh, information from about a lot of different ones is that the, the, the sophistication of advanced technologies traveling point to point in craft, everything about their existence may at some point require a, a artificial intelligence plug-in or adaptation or hybrid, hybrid between AI and biology, and then some that are all insect, and that the insects use all AI. That's another one of the statements, but I don't know if that is true. So as complicated as human lives are, the whole extraterrestrial landscape is highly, highly complicated. And we need firsthand evidentiary testimonies, evidence um, from biology to all sorts of things. Um, I can at least add on the technology side that when I began investigating the bismuth, magnesium, zinc, layered metal in 1996, April, it first came aluminum and then came the bismuth, magnesium, zinc pieces. And I was reporting uh, weekly with Art Bell and Art wanted me to investigate as hard and deep as I could go. And uh, one of the conversations that I ended up having was with a physicist who had worked on a slab that he said was three feet by six feet in Area 51 S4 uh, a long time ago. And that he was retired, but he wanted me to know because he had heard about my reporting on uh, Coast to Coast and Dreamland with Art Bell about the bismuth, magnesium, zinc. And he, the physicist told me, this was before, um, we'll call it the, the last three or four years, 2018, when uh, we started hearing about uh, people like um, Tom DeLong and others that he was working with wanting to get the pieces and create a company and all of that. Uh, and the physicist told me that one of the big challenges that he was aware is that they knew that the bismuth, magnesium, zinc, that especially the pure aluminum, was intelligently controlled at the atomic levels and that the key to the aluminum, which was one skin, the bismuth magnesium being another, is that you had to have iridium that could be placed atomically at the atomic level, that there's an intelligent placement of iridium atoms in the nearly pure 100, it's 99 point 
on and on and on, pure aluminum. That's one of the skins that goes with the bismuth magnesium. In that aluminum, what makes it work in relationship to moving craft point to point are the placement of the iridiums intelligently. And I learned about a year ago that the government was frustrated that they couldn't find anybody who could confirm or show how this could be done. And finally, Los Alamos here in New Mexico, they were able to confirm that in fact, the aluminum pieces that paralleled the bismuth magnesium pieces had intelligently placed iridium atoms. But we didn't have even uh, the equipment to confirm this until uh, just, it was, I can't remember if it was 2002, was something like that, that Los Alamos was finally able to do that. So that shows you another issue. If you're dealing with really sophisticated, advanced technologies a thousand years in advance of us, is one of the phrases that has come up in documents and briefings. A thousand years in advance, what are we going to do? We're not going to be able to understand anything unless we are collaborating with the intelligences that are a thousand years in advance. And maybe that won't happen because they look at us as being too out of sync with them. The levels, the challenges from getting evidentiary material that can be examined and reported to the whole world as this is extraterrestrial and this is what it does and this is how, all the way to what are the civilizations? What are the types? What is the true history of Mesopotamia on this planet in relationship to civilizations that are out there and are still functioning? And they had a base here and humans thought they were gods and they were ETs in some of the cases of history. Well, to me, isn't it exciting that we could finally be opening up real truths about our history, about the physics, about the evolution, moving point to point, all of it. And we seem to constantly be mired, bogged down in political concerns about who should be blocked from knowing X, Y, and Z instead of let's try introducing all of Earth to everything at the same time. Truth. I'd go for that. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.
Thanks for listening to this Earth Files podcast from the edges of science, environment, and real X-Files. Go to www.earthfiles.com to see more than a thousand Earth Files reports with photographs, drawings, and documents. And visit Earth Files every day, every week, for new reports and new podcasts. That's www.earthfiles.com. Earth Files.